Man, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 22. So we continue in our series uh, in the book of Exodus, Free at Last. I just want to remind you we are walking through um, what's known as the covenant code, and these are rules and regulations and laws that God laid out for His people to flesh out how they were to live as His people, as uh, a nation in the promised land in which He was setting them. And so these laws contain rules and regulations around uh, what worship was to look like uh, in Israel, how they were to relate to their God, but they also lay out how the people of God were to relate to one another in society, how they were relate how to, how they were to re- relate socially uh, in their interactions um, with each other uh, and with the nations around them. And so I've entitled. Uh, this sermon uh, this morning, Doing Justice Socially, Doing Justice Socially. Let's look at Exodus 22, uh, beginning at verse 16. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. And if her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will, I will hear, truly hear their cry. And my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a moneylender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses the firstborn of your sons. You shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen, with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with his mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore, you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. You shall not spread a false report, chapter 23. You shall not join hands with the wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one, of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving, it, leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. 
keep far from a false charge. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray now as we look for just a few moments at Your Word, that You would do that work in us, by the power of Your Spirit, through Your Word, that You would conform us into the image of Your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Uh, Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Institute wrote this. He says, we are all implicated when we allow other people to be mistreated. An absence of compassion can corrupt the decency of a community, a state, a nation. The call that comes with being God's treasured possession, His priestly kingdom, His holy nation is the practice of justice in all of our relationships with each other and with our neighbors. The call to show concern in our social relationships to do justice in our social interactions is a key part of the covenant we have entered into with the Lord. Uh, it is not the social gospel, which was built on theological liberalism, which denied many of the core tenets of the faith, the virgin birth, the body, bodily resurrection of the Lord. It's not the social gospel to say that God's call for His people is to do justice socially. The social gospel, again, which denied many of the core tenets of the faith, is right, rightly denounced as unbiblical and untenable as a basis of uh, Christian social concern. However, that those of us who believe the gospel, who believe in the life and death and resurrection, bodily resurrection of Christ, who believe in the Bible as the final rule of faith and practice, that we are called to do justice in our relationships socially is in keeping with the very Word of God and with that very gospel that we believe. It is a call, to it is a call embodied in these laws embodied in the words of the prophets, embodied in the words of Jesus and the apostles, all of whom call us to love God and to love our neighbor concretely by doing justice to them and for them. And these laws in Exodus are set in Israel's own experience of injustice, with God saying twice in these laws, you shall not oppress a sojourner, you know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt." And he says this, 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 this twice, he says it twice, basically the same words. He has to say it twice because in spite of Israel's experience, God knows their hearts. He knows that they are stiff-necked and stubborn and are prone to turn and do to others the same things that were done to them. Contrary uh, to our often positive self-assessment of ourselves, we are, as the songwriter says, prone to wander. Lord, 
I feel it, prone to leave the God we love. We are not naturally disposed, even if we have been through suffering, to help those who are suffering. We are not naturally disposed to do justice, even, if, even when we, are, we ourselves have experienced injustice. This is why this call to justice relationally is rooted not in our goodness, not in our righteousness, but in the compassion of God. God, in fact, proclaims this about Himself in these very laws, saying, and if He cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. It's a part of the very character of who God is. He is a God of compassion for those who are suffering. God describes Himself as compassionate, as one who is concerned for the sufferings and misfortune of others. Indeed, in Deuteronomy 10, God describes Himself in this way when He says to His people that He executes justice on behalf of the fatherless and the widow, and that He gives food to the stranger, and that His people, therefore, are to be a people who follow Him by loving the foreigner and the stranger. This is the root of the church's call to do social justice. We are a people of a compassionate God who are called to show the same compassion in our interactions with others. As Christians, we can debate the most helpful ways to engage in doing justice socially. We can de debate it, uh, uh, we can debate it, but we can't, what we can't debate is that it's our biblical call. <laughs> These laws then give us some general principles of what that engagement looks like. And don't, don't forget, uh, Israel's calling as we look at these laws, a calling I've reminded us of several, several times in these sermons, when God says to His people in Exodus 19, Exodus 19, now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, while the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." What would happen if we took that call seriously? Remember, church, this is our calling. For the Apostle Peter tells us, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Where did he get that from? He got it from Exodus 19. This is the call not only of the church of old, it is the call of God's people today. And I argue that to proclaim the, that excellency of God who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light is a call to do justice in all of our relationships. But what does it look like to do that justice? It starts somewhere that we all will recognize and know but that's important for us to remind ourselves of. It starts actually with the worship of God. It starts with the worship of God. For the believer, doing justice in our social relationships is rooted first and foremost in the worship of God. The laws in, uh, that we see in Exodus uh, 22, Beginning at verse 18, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. 
Then verse 28, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the overflow of your, your presses, the firstborn of your sons, you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen, with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with his mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. You shall be consecrated to me. For the believer then, doing justice in our social relationships is rooted first and foremost in the worship of God. These laws point to our need to protect the worship of God among us. Sorcery, of course, was rooted in an attempt to discern hidden things or gain power over others or secure blessing through the assistance of a medium or an enchantress. In this way, sorcery sought to replace God as the one to whom we are called to put all of our faith and all of our hope for all of the answers of life. Bestiality, while not only abhorrent in its misuse of the human body, was also associated with the worship of idols, particularly God's, uh, 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 God that, that promised various types of fertility, fertility of land, fertility of body. Thus, it was a reversal of how fertility truly comes to pass, and that is through the means that God Himself has laid out for us in His Word. In addition to these, sacrificing to any idol was to be forbidden as the worship of anything that is not God would be a way of replacing Him as the only true sovereign over all of life. Any violation of these rules was to be considered worthy of capital punishment. And what God was doing in that was signaling just how serious He was about protecting His name among His people, His place as their God in the lives of His people and through them among the nations. And while capital punishment, of course, is no longer given to us under the new covenant, we are still to take seriously the responsibility of guarding against idolatry of any kind, individually or collectively as God's people. We are to take seriously the call to protect God's name, to protect His place as God over His people and over this world. And this includes the commands again, that I just read, found in uh, verses 28 to 31, where we are commanded to honor God by honoring, uh, uh, by honoring those He has placed over us as leaders. We are not to curse them, but to give them the respect due their office. In addition, we are to give God our very best in terms of our sacrifices, an expression of our faith that, that, that everything we have comes from and belongs to Him. These sacrifices are no longer animals, but our very selves. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Through worship of the triune God, we are transformed into His image. Paul says it this way by describing the greater glory of the new covenant, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What I'm saying is protecting the worship of God among us is vital because we are being transformed into that very image of God. And God Himself declares Himself as a God of compassion and a God of justice and a God of righteousness. And you know what idolatry does? It makes you oppressive. It makes you uncompassionate. Or is it uncompassionate or incompassionate? You know what I mean. 
It makes you cruel. So let it be said of us, church, what was reported concerning the Thessalonians, that we have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, in whose image we are being shaped into, to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For if this is true of us, it will make us a just people in the world as we follow our God into that world with the message of His salvation and our Lord Jesus Christ. You protect the worship of God because we are being transformed into His very image. And idolatry transforms us into another image, an image that makes us oppressive and cruel and unjust. And so the call here is to guard the worship, is to guard the worship of God, to guard against anything individually or collectively that draws us away from that worship. It is to guard against raising anyone and anything above our God, either in our individual lives or in our collective lives. We're called to be relentless in this garden because our hearts tend toward the worship of idols. This is why Paul tells us, in point of fact, to flee from idolatry. For some of us, for, for some of us that false god is money. For other, others of us, it's nation. For others of us, it's sex. For others of us, that false god is privilege and praise. We must guard against our individual and collective, we must guard in our individual and collective lives against the worship of anything that is not God. Because when we worship anything that is not God, we are shaped into that image rather than being shaped into the image of God in worship of Him. This means we need each other to point out where we are straying. We need leaders and non-leaders to assist us in helping in this regard. Idols, as I said, lead us toward oppression, and so knowing this, we must be vigilant not to give our worship to them. God is our God, and we have no other king other than the Lord. Amen, people of God. Amen. So it starts with the worship of God, but it also includes then the defense of the unprotected, disadvantaged. There, there are several rules here covering uh, several categories of vulnerable people. In verses 16 to 17, the vulnerable person is a young woman whose virginity has been taken outside of the formal bonds of marriage. The idea here is one of enticement to sin, whereas in Deuteronomy 22, verses 28 and 29, the woman is forced against her will. Either way, the man is to bear responsibility for his action. Now, one might ask why God would, in either case, uh, command marriage. In ancient Near Eastern culture, the protection of women came in relationship to men. As a daughter, a woman would be under the legal and physical and spiritual protection of her father. As a wife, she would be under the legal, physical, and spiritual protection of her husband. The point here isn't that the woman could not get out of such an arrangement. Clearly, in this text, the father retains the right to reject the arrangement on behalf of the young woman and the family. Rather, the point of the command was to recognize that rights had been taken from the woman and from her family. And rather, uh, the, the rights had been taken from the woman and her family. And the point of the command was to recognize that those rights had been taken. 
the man had taken what was only to be given in a marriage union with all its attendant protections and, and blessings and privileges and could not simply walk away from that responsibility without cost. In verses 21 to 24, another category of vulnerable people is mentioned who are often grouped together in the Scriptures, the stranger, the widow, and the fatherless child. And these groups are to be protected from mistreatment, the word mistreatment covering a wide range of violations with the script, which the Scriptures flesh out in other places. It covers things like mistreatment in the courts, mistreatment in the realm of business, mistreatment in personal and, so, personal and social realm. It covers discrimination and abuse and theft from those in these vulnerable positions. And this mistreatment of the unprotected, the vulnerable also comes at a cost with God warning His people that the mistreatment of these vulnerable groups will bring His displeasure and His discipline, even severe discipline upon His people should they fail to keep His laws in relationship to how they treat the vulnerable, the widow, the fatherless, the stranger. Lastly, the category of the poor is mentioned, calling God's people to be especially careful to guard against aggravating the condition of the poor by charging them interest or holding on to their necessities to secure a loan. While interest itself or holding property against a loan is not evil in itself, it was not to be done toward the poor under any circumstances. Indeed, Israel will be commanded in Deuteronomy 15 to lend freely to their fellow Israelites who are poor without expecting anything in return. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like somebody else said that some thousands of years later when he says lend without expecting in return. And isn't this what we are indeed commanded to do as the church for our poor brothers and sisters among us? Amen. All of this to say that justice in our social relationships calls for a particular concern to guard against mistreating vulnerable people. Indeed, God describes Himself later, as I said, in Israel's journey calling His people to imitate Him, saying through Moses, in Deuteronomy 10, that he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, verse 18, loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing, and then commanding his people in verse 19, love the sojourner, therefore, for you yourselves were sojourners in the land of Egypt. If this is who God is as God, how can we be any less as his people? And it calls us to ask ourselves a question, who are our widows? And our orphans, our poor, our disadvantaged, our unprotected, who are they among us and who are they around us? And, and I ask ourselves another question, are they mistreated by us? And when they are, and when they are, do they find us ready and willing to repent of our sin, to repair the damage that our failures have created? Or do they find us resistant and defensive? The, ex the expectation in these rules and, and generally applicable to us today 
is that we would take seriously any violation, any mistreatment of the poor, any mistreatment of the widow, any mistreatment of the foreigner, that we would take those violations seriously is our call inside the church and outside. We are to do what we can to ensure that the same care is taken to give justice to the poor and needy of the earth. We are to encourage, indeed, our civil and our national leaders in this regard in the same way that Daniel did with Nebuchadnezzar when he said to him, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Amen, people of God. We are to be a people, if we are going to be a people who do justice socially, we must be a people who worship God. We must be a people who care about the defense of the unprotected and disadvantaged. And we must also be a people who demonstrate honesty with all of our neighbors. In calling us to do justice in our relationships, God calls us to honesty in our dealings with everyone. Uh, in those verses uh, in chapter 23, uh, beginning at verse 1, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Then God goes on to talk about uh, if you find uh, or if you see Meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray. You shall bring it back to him. That is, you are not to keep it for yourself, to steal it. You are not to pervert justice due to the poor in your lawsuit. You are not to take a bribe, uh, verse 8. In all these verses, the call is to honesty, to honesty. We are called, to, we are called not to bear false testimony, nor to join in supporting those who do, even when those who do are in the majority. Even if we're in the minority, we're called to stand for the truth and guard the innocent from wrongful prosecution and defamation and even death. Dishonesty damages others. It destroys people's lives, and God has called His people not to participate in it in any way. Um, we're called to guard our neighbor's property, as I just said, returning it to them if we have found it, refraining from keeping it for ourselves, keeping what belongs to our neighbors. And we are to do this even if the person whose property we find does not like us. That is, even if they, if, even if they have made themselves your enemy, you ought to do them justice. So this call includes our enemies. Let that sink in for a minute. Our justice is to extend even to those who hate us. And even those you don't like. Amen, people of God. It got quiet when I said even those you don't like. I think you all felt the part when I said when they don't like you. But even those you don't like, you are called to do them justice. Indeed, our Lord Jesus tells us, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? 
or not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That, that, is, that is, do good to those you love and do good to those you don't. And those who don't love you in return. We are also to resist, these laws says, we are also to resist bribery because bribes lead to the perversion of justice for those who are in the right. And these bribes, by the way, don't have to be monetary. They can be promises of privilege. They can be promises of physical pleasure. They can be promises of future favors. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Either way, Christians are not to take bribes for they can lead to the perversion of justice for those who are in the right. Finally, God repeats His previous call that His people refrain from mistreating sojourners, non-citizens, non-members of the community. The basis for this is their own experience in Egypt. You've been there. You know what it looks like and feels like to be in this situation, and so don't put others through what you yourselves have been through. In a series about community relationships, we're encouraged in the New Covenant in Hebrews chapter 13, let brotherly love continue, and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. This is the Word of God, people of God. And our call here is to tell the truth and do what is true in all our relationships with each other. We're to do this whether it is convenient for us to do so or not. We are to do it regardless of the cost to us. We are to do it whether the person is or is not our friend. And this honesty is our call individually, and it's our call collectively. We're also called by inference to repair any place where we have not been honest, especially in those places where that dishonesty has done damage to the lives of others. And again, we need each other's help in this, for sometimes we in our sin can be resistant to doing what is right and defensive when we have done what is wrong. We need others, therefore, to walk with us in doing what is right, to hold our feet to the fire, so to speak. And so these rules were not just for individuals to follow on their own, but, but, but they, were to be, uh, they, they were to be enforced in the community by the elders, by the judges, by the rulers of the community. And these rules were no doubt to be encouraged by every member of the body to every other member of the body as well. If everyone was operating in that way, in this way, Israel would present itself to the nations as a community of honesty and integrity and God's name would be glorified, and people would come to know that He's Savior and Lord. Amen, people of God? How many of y'all want people to know Jesus? I saw two hands. How many of y'all want people to come to know Jesus? Amen. I know, I, know, I know you were scared like he's setting us up. I'm not going to raise my hand. <laughs> if we want people to come to know the Lord Jesus, then it's not just about what we ourselves believe. It's how we act. 
It's how we behave to one another in the body, and it's how we behave toward those on the outside. That is, this gospel we believe is to be manifest in how we treat each other in this house, and it's to be manifested in how we treat others on the outside. That's, that's our call. It's, it was the call of the people of God of old. It is, the, it is our call today as the church. And as we live this way, God indeed will make us a light to the nations, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, because that's what we are in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, people of God. So we're called uh, as God's covenant community to do justice in all our relationships. That call begins with guarding the worship of God, who is the God of justice and compassion. It includes defending the unprotected and the disadvantaged from being mistreated. And it means honesty in all our relationships with one another. And when we live in this way, we show the world the glory of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is glorious, and we are its citizens through faith in Jesus. May God in Christ help us to live in light of that, doing justice in all our relationships. Let's pray. Father, we talk about this uh, a lot because you talk about it a lot in your Word. Uh, You command us to worship you rightly as God and King and Lord. And you call us to worship you as God and King and Lord because that is to our good and it is to the good of our neighbors because you are the God of compassion. You are the God of love. You are the God of justice. You are the God who sets things right, and they can only be set right in you and through you. And so we pray, indeed, that you would draw us into the worship of yourself, that we would set aside, Lord, anything that seeks to elevate itself as God in our lives. Whatever that is, Lord, we pray that we would set it aside and that our brothers and sisters in Christ would help us to set those things aside, that we would do that individually and corporately, that we would protect the worship of God among us because it is in the worship of you that we are transformed into your very likeness through faith in Jesus Christ. We become compassionate. We become a people of justice. We become a people who love as we worship you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us indeed to be transformed into your image, that we may love the widow and love the fatherless and love the foreigner as you do, and that we would be willing, Lord, to uphold and defend and walk alongside the poor who you set among us and the poor around us, the unprotected around us, the disadvantaged around us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would make us a people of truth, that in all our speaking and living, we would be honest. We would do what is right. We would do what is true, even to our own hurt. And where we have done hurt through dishonesty, we pray that you would help us to be a people who repair that damage. Father, bless us now uh, here at New City Fellowship to more and more become that kind of people, to proclaim that to our brothers and sisters throughout this city, and this state, and this nation, and this world, and to join with your church in proclaiming that to our neighbors. 
We pray for this and ask this in the mighty and powerful and matchless name of Jesus Christ our Lord.